Welcome to Business Talk Sistaga. I'm Becca. And I'm Ruthie. And today's episode is How Trust Impacts Your Business. David Horsager is with us today. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much. Great we, to be here. Oh, we are super looking forward to this for sure. So tell us, what do you do? Great question. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, so I run Trust Edge Leadership Institute. Our mission is developing trusted leaders and organizations around the world. We work with everything from global governments to pro sports teams to companies to cities and, and whatnot. We, we basically serve our clients in three big ways. I, you know, I speak about 100 times a year at different conferences to kind of inspire a shift of thinking around trust. And then we have a consulting piece where we measure trust in organizations and close gaps. And we've been fortunate to People said save them millions of dollars and, and uh, when they see the gap around our, our framework of trust and, and are able to close it. So that's a deep consulting piece. And then the, the biggest part of what we do is really certifying either independent coaches or certifying learning folks, corporate trainers inside of companies to drive high-performing teams and cultures on trust. And that, that gives them access to an amazing platform and uh, mentoring and our community uh, from around the world. We have certified uh, folks, uh, certified coaches in Uganda, Kenya, Indonesia, Amsterdam, Quebec, and Kyrgyzstan. So um, we're, we're basically, we help them to drive these high-performing cultures of trust, whether it's if they're serving companies or if they're serving their company. So that's what we do. And we're all, the whole mission is developing trusted leaders and organizations. And when we do that, we think we help them the most. Wow. You said that so fast. Developing trusted leaders and organizations. <laughs> why not? Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. Okay. So why do you do that? Well, if you go back to my graduate work, you have to tell my kids, you know, when I moved back here with my, my uh, started my first company back in the 1900s. Oh, there was a time. Um, but 1999, uh, moved back to Minnesota. I'd been director of a youth and family organization. I'd worked for uh, the biggest Christian sports camp in the country and developed some leadership curriculum there and whatnot came back and was speaking and training. And I, I started to just think of some of the organizations I was working with. They're like, um, we have a leadership problem. And I was looking at it, it's like, boy, that looks like a trust problem. It's like, oh, we got a sales problem. And, oh, that looks like a sales a trust problem. And so I started to mm -hmm. see that the, the real root issue was always trust. And so that led to my graduate work, which back then, you know, very few people, especially in business and leadership, were researching trust and how it affected the bottom line. And I believe now, Everything of value is built on trust. I believe trust affects the bottom line more than anything else. Um, and so, you know, with this passion, we started using in companies It worked. So that grew the passion. The research grew the passion. We now do a big study on trust and leadership uh, every year called the Trust Outlook. And that's grown the passion because we keep seeing this. Our, our framework was just revalidated by an outside university last year as the way trust is built globally. And so that kind of created the passion. But probably one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is this work changed me. It changed how I parent. It changed my, it changed me as a husband. I think it changed, uh, you know, my work. So I, I believe, um, of course, God's been saying a lot about trust before I ever started it. Uh, but there, so there's an ins faith inspiration to all this work, but there's also this um, passion because I see that when people increase trust, they increase the outcome. They start to solve the outcome that they were hoping for. So mm. in our case, you know, my first part of my research showed how when trust goes up, costs go down, time goes down, 
uh, attrition goes down, retention goes up. So we, the problem with in many organizations, that's why I wrote the new book, Trusted Leader, is they aren't solving the real issue or the root issue. And trust, when they see this framework and see uh, trust differently, they actually start to solve the real issue. Yeah, so you mentioned a couple things that I want to jump on. Okay, so um, we're going to come back to your story a little bit because I want to hear that. But um, you just said you have a new book coming out, and I know that we're going to be um, – Wait, I actually read your first book in prep for this. So um, went through that one. Tell us about this new one that's coming out because I want to hear that first. Yeah, yeah. So well, the first book, you know, it came out of my grad work and it's 360 pages or whatever. And it's 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 uh, it was 200 more pages till I had to cut out a couple hundred pages because of the publisher and agent and whatever. That's that's an evergreen book. It's it's the, a lot of it is the core of what I believe. But you can imagine, over a decade ago, we've learned a lot about trust. And so the trusted leader, I just actually have a copy in my hand now. It doesn't come out till March 30th, but I, I, they just sent uh, the pre-published copies, and we're excited about that. Wow, but looks fancy. Basically, yeah, it's even got the cool, uh, the cool design that we love to do in our books, and the feel is really cool. The 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 way it's uh, the tactical feel. We're big on uh, having it feel and be excellent. So, mm -hmm. um, anyway, the the. Basically, we heard a few things. Number one, our work, our research uh, that we do every year, our Trust Outlook, kept saying the number one reason people want to work for an organization over being paid more, over a more fun work environment with a ping pong table, or, or over more autonomy. Number one reason was trusted. They want to work for leaders they trust. And we started to find is people either want to be leaders, trusted leaders, or they want to follow trusted leaders. So. What does that look like? And so the, the first half of the book, actually, this time is um, a story, a parable that shifts thinking around trust. It's actually part of it based on a true story of a, a, a boardroom moment where one, the, probably the most junior person is willing to be honest, and it changes everything for this organization And uh, by asking one simple question. And anyway, that, that parable kind of shifts thinking and shows how trust isn't what everybody thinks. People think, oh, it's transparency. Well, some kids are so transparent on social media, I don't trust them for a second. It's also confidentiality, or it takes a long time to build trust. Well, actually, that's not true in some cases. Like 9-11, complete strangers trust each other in a moment if they're running the same direction. So there's, they're shifting thinking around trust and showing how it matters more than ever and how we have an unbelievable opportunity, especially in crisis. We can, we can build trust faster than ever. So that's the first half. And the second half, we go into those same that eight pillar framework that's based in research, but we give takeaways leaders can use tomorrow morning that we've learned since that first book came out. So the spa method of appreciation that comes under the compassion pillar and the how, how, how method, the, the way I people have used that method, method to triple sales in 90 days. I used it to, to lose 52 pounds in five months back in 2011 and keep it off. So some of these strategies that help build this eight pillars of trust framework the new ones, they're in the new book, Trusted Leader. Okay, so let's back it up. Let's back really far up because a lot of our, our listeners are like, they, they've not, this is probably the first time they've heard you, right? And tell us like how you got here because uh, for reference for you guys that are listening, um, I actually had a conversation with David probably like a f over five years ago. And he took the time to just talk to me about while I was in college about, yeah, like if you just want to put like the work in or this is the best time in your life to risk if you're going to take an opportunity. And 
like he told me a little bit about his story and like his struggle of like where he came from um deciding to start a business and and pursue this data research and I think that that's incredible and I really want would love to like have you share that um a little bit with us because um that is just seeing how you can take an intangible element and then say this works and here's the data to prove that this will be a a numbers game now of cost savings how did you come to that point and and how did you like say yeah i'm gonna do this finally well there's a few questions in this story right so i mean you can go back to growing up on a little bean farm in north central minnesota in one of the poorest counties in minnesota and uh, learning to work and learning to sacrifice and being the youngest of six kids and growing up under amazing leaders in my parents i was fortunate for that you can learn from good leaders you can learn from bad ones um, went to college and then uh, went on staff with the organization I was talking about. And then Lisa and I decided uh, to move back to Minnesota and start our first company. And, you know, it, it, it was, I think, faith in God's grace to do it. I think belief that we were supposed to start this. And I don't know what all, but basically what happened was we took every penny we had. We threw it into this business at the time, 1999. We... Uh, we found a place to live for about half the price of any apartment. I still remember it was about $350. Uh, it was the basement of 86-year-old Clara Miller's home in Fridley, Minnesota. No bathroom, no Yikes. kitchen, no, no kitchen, no windows. Thankfully, we didn't know it was illegal to live in a windowless basement in Minnesota. Sounds like you were um, living in a pit. <laughs> we lived there for two years. It came completely wow. with black mold, so that was good. Um, but, but we lived there for two years. By that October, we had $1.40 to our name, 80 cents in the home account, 60 cents in the business account. And that's how we started. And we were, um, we threw everything we had into it. We'd work till 11 at night, making calls, learning, whatever. Um, and, and I figured back then if I could make $700 a month, we could pay all of our urgent bills. And, uh, but that, that, that was, that was the way we started. You know, when you talk about entrepreneurism, you know, so many people, I've seen this data several times. The number one regret of older people is actually not that they would have spent more time with their kids, though that's a really good thing. Not that they would have done some of these things people say. It's that they wish they would have taken more risks. And sometimes we just think, we, what, what really do we have to lose? And, and what do we have to gain by trying? And I've failed several times. Um, I lost everything in a different company, uh, you know, right before one of our kids was born. I mean, I, I've done some things that way. Now, fortunately, things are much different, and they never would be how they are without those risks. So um, anyway, that was, that was a little bit how we started, and it, it was gritty, and, uh, uh, you know, we just we were passionate about it. We were together on it. Thankfully, we didn't have the four kids yet, um, but that's, that's kind of how we, we started. So I, wow. I remember my taxes that year were, uh, I think, the, the – income was $2,000 or something, but anyway. <laughs> okay. So clearly you've really, um, learned a lot since then and like, and have done so many cool things, uh, with trust and, and all these things that you're talking about, how specifically have you seen, uh, this success of trust on a team? Well, you can see it. I mean, think about this in the cost of trust. So take someone you trust, how long does that take to write them a text? Bloop, done. Now try to text someone you don't trust. 
oh, how should I say this? Ooh, how should I say that? Ooh, I better delete that. They might do this. They might say that. The skepticism and suspicion, which is the opposite of trust, goes up. So when, if I can take a team and we can increase trust in the way that stops the politics or slows it, that stops the second guessing, that gets everyone aligned to the same thing. I mean, everything changes, but the, the most important thing is speed and cost because everything gets faster when you have a team that's high trust. It, mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't have all the double checking and everything else. So, I mean, that's the simple answer. There's a lot more we could say. <laughs> um, how do you teach people trust then? That seems like a lofty task. <laughs> yeah, it's all we do. Um, so there's mm -hmm. two sides to that. One, I have to get buy-in. So mm -hmm. that's where the research came in. So the, the first thing we have to do is show the case for trust and what that means here. And it doesn't matter whether I'm dealing with the, you know, uh, corruption issues in East Africa or something with the, you know, a pro sports team or a, a company. They have to see that this will impact, make, make our life better here. So when I can show the case for trust, how, hey, they're going to lose millions of dollars if they don't do this, or they, 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 they get buy-in, or if teams could you know, perform better, speed would go up and costs would go down, attrition would go down and all that kind of stuff. So first is the case. They have to see that trust is the root issue, and it always is. I, I, without ego, I hope, but a whole lot of passion and research, I can show that it's never a leadership issue. The reason you follow the leader or not, is trust. It's not a sales mm -hmm. issue. The reason you buy or not is trust. The only way to amplify a marketing message is increase trust in the message. The only way to increase learning in a classroom is increase trust in the teacher, the content, or the psychological sa safety of the room. Diversity issues of our day, we're solving many of them the wrong way. The biggest Harvard study would show diversity on its own pits people against each other mm -hmm. unless you increase trust. Then, and only then, can you get the great benefits that come with with diversity. So they have to shift thinking around trust first and, and that gets some buy-in because they say, oh, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Oh, I see how that could affect us. I see how that could really, how that could help us. So that's first. The second half of really what we get paid to do is this whole helping them gain a common language around the eight pillar framework, which is how trust is built. These eight pillars globally, even though we contextualize for different environments, understanding this eight pillar framework I think I think I better share these eight pillars because I think if without this, no, we don't have a framework, <laughs> right? Yep, yeah, please good. do. <laughs> I so, love so that. So I think let's go because now, well, there's new takeaways, and I could talk about each of these eight for a day each. Mm -hmm. um, we need to, this gives a little life to understanding how we solve. So these eight pillars are what came out of the research. So they didn't come out as pillars that hold up this great advantage. They just come out as research funnels, right? So the eight pillars of trust. Relatively co-equal doesn't mean number one is more important, but here they are. Number one, clarity. People trust the clear and they mistrust or distrust the ambiguous or the overly complex. So if, whenever I overcomplexify something beyond what is needed, I lose clarity, which loses trust. So clarity is trusted. Most people think they're clear when they're not. Even marketing and branding experts think they are, and they're not. It's incredibly difficult to be clear on the level I'm talking about that gains trust, but that's what's necessary. Number two is compassion. We trust those that care beyond themselves. It's hard to follow a leader or be accountable to someone if we don't feel like they care at all about us. Compassion. Number three is character. We all knew this one. Honesty is important, of course, but it's not everything because number four is competency. 
This is why I might trust Rebecca to take my kids to the ball game and not give, you know, trust her to give me a rip canal, right? Because of competency, <laughs> right? So you got to be competent in the area. If you're still leading the way you were 20 years ago, I don't trust you. If you're selling the way you were 10 years ago, I don't trust you. If you're teaching my kids and you're teaching the same way you were five years ago, I probably don't trust you. We've got to stay fresh and relevant and capable. Next pillar is commitment. We trust those that stay committed in the face of adversity. Take anybody, you know, in history, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus, or Joan of Arc, and you'll find someone that was trusted because they were committed to something beyond themselves, often to death. Next pillar is connection. Um, basically, the finding here, and even though these are all C words from memory, uh, they don't they, 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 they kind of encompass the meaning of that research funnel. A connection, actually, another C word, collaboration, came out of this, this funnel. But we trust those that are willing to connect and collaborate. And each of these pillars... They're counterforces. So in a company, if I see siloing, I know we've got a counterforce to that connection pillar. Contribution is the seventh pillar, and the number one word that came out of this research funnel was results. You've got to contribute results. You can't just have compassion and character. You won't be trusted. But you can't just get results without compassion and character either, and you won't be trusted. So you got to have all eight, but um, this is why I might have a uh, go in for an amputation, let's say, and the surgeon cuts off the wrong leg, might be the most compassionate surgeon ever, but we got the wrong result. Don't trust them. Um, the final pillar is consistency, and that is we trust whatever you do consistently, good or bad. If you're late all the time, I will, in fact, trust you to be late. Consistency is the only way to build a brand. It's the only way to build a reputation. So, you know, this, that was a quick glimpse. Now, under each of these, there's ways that we build consistency in a brand or an organization. There's ways we, we increase clarity in expectations or in alignment or in vision. But um, it's, it's worth understanding this is what we're going against because you can actually solve every organizational and leadership issue against these eight. This doesn't mean I know how to do it or it's easy. It just says if you can, if you can uh, frame it or understand the language, as an example, oh, we got an engagement issue. No, you don't. You have a trust issue. We got an NPS or net promoter score issue. No, nope. the only way to increase referrals is increase trust. Or see, people say to me, oh, you like C's, David. Isn't it ever a communication issue? And of course, the truth is it never is ever at the core a communication issue. Clear, you look at the pillars, clear communication is trusted. Unclear, communication is not trusted. Compassionate it is, hateful, communication is not trusted. Consistent is, so when you can define it against these, you actually start to solve the real issue, which is what we love helping people do. And then under the eight pillars, tools they can use to actually build that pillar. You know, so that's, that's what we do. You gotta get buy-in, but then you get, it's, it's giving them these tools in a way they can use them that will help them. Okay, so how do you measure the level of trust in a business culture then? Well, we, you know, I created six, I guess, different ways we measure trust in organizations and individuals. Everything from a simple self-assessment all the way up to an enterprise trust index built on, you know, a mix of my graduate work and 30 years of Accenture data and, you know, validated questions. So if I was taking an organization, I would use that ETI and you know, we would survey the organization or many people from the organization, and that would show where we have gaps and, and we would equip them with tools to close the gap and build trust. Okay, so you're mentioning like a lot of different things and I really wanna, let's, let's dig back into that. So you just said that you built these models, right? Based mm -hmm. on research. And when you first started it, when you were just like, this is an idea in your head, 
did you feel a little bit crazy or did you think this is going to work? And how did that, how did you go about finding the ways to structure that so that you could build something that actually other people considered this is an index that is trustworthy? Well, I think there's several parts to that. I think, first of all, the, the finding out what builds trust. So that's the eight pillars. So we can run through them or talk about them. Everything is built on that. So whether it's every one of the indexes where I'm looking at behaviors for me personally or I'm looking at behaviors in an organization, it comes back to those eight pillars of trust, which you can find in TrustEd. You can find them also in uh, Trusted Leader. But we get we can talk about those. But that's what we're coming. Once we had that, then it's it's also asking for help and learning, right? So I remember I remember my first meeting with the guy that wrote the book on 360 gap analysis and building my first Trust Edge 360, mm -hmm. uh, a way to measure trust in 360 degrees around a leader against the eight pillars. And that person helped me with that. And then I said, well, we want to measure trust in organizations. So I met with David Gutzman on how do you actually how you do they create out in California all these big measuring tools they had access to all this Accenture data so having him help me so I had this research around how trust is built basically an umbrella right but then for different tools and ways of coaching now I've worked with others to to create our whole coaching platform and how we um, other ways we measure trust but also how we um, give tools to coaches so they can apply it in their domain or how now we've you know now we've yeah part of that's with experience too like now we've used it in police reform and you know business and sales and leadership but basically when you're talking about the assessments i'm going to experts and having help learning how do you make validated assessments based on what i'm finding about trust or have found so it kind of goes back to a little bit of the scientific or it's important to have the scientific method because I think especially like I find with um, more common YouTubers and other things that they say, I spent like maybe 20 minutes on research and here's the data. But like the reality is that if you start with your conclusions without actually using the scientific method, that's actually the opposite of like forming a hypothesis and proving it, right? Well, and I, th I think more and more as you see the light uh, you know, social media, light, and all the the noise on social media, more and more people that are going to win, at least in learning and development and consulting, there there's going to be a bias toward people that have done real primary research. So yeah. I think, um, you know, motivational speakers are less and less uh, being hired compared to experts, you know. Mm. So I mean, look at a TED Talk. There's not a motivational speaker. There's only experts generally is what they want. And that's just the same with other uh, means. People, people actually want help that will help them. The most motivating idea is not someone that maybe climbed Mount Everest because I'm not going to do that. The most motivating idea is an idea I can use tomorrow morning to help me with my problem. Put that on a T-shirt. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, uh, so the other question, another question I had was, uh, what are the biggest areas that people can really struggle to create trust? Well, in the, there's no shortage of, of places to, to, to um, build trust. I mean, sometimes it's building trust with themselves even. Okay, so we've gone through so many different things really quickly because you're probably one of our most speedy, speedy talker guests. <laughs> Which is I awesome. can't go 1.5 times. I know I listen to all my podcasts on 1.5 or 2, but yeah. um, I just take <laughs> that too. out of the equation. Yeah, I hear you. 
I did. I did listen to you on 1.5 in your book, just so you know. All right, good. <laughs> yeah, well, they forced me. Those publishers force you to slow down. This yeah. is going for international. You know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I did. I did want to note something that you said, and then we're gonna we're gonna Ruthie wants to add a couple things too. But um, I thought it was really interesting in your book, and then you also commented on it today that um, you said that just because like or with diversity, it actually decreases. Um, functionality or progress unless there's trust there is that is that accurate that's correct now this doesn't please hear me this doesn't mean i don't believe in diversity there's many great studies that show the value of diversity it's immense i'm part of the national association of corporate directors we're seeing on boards that are diverse they have so much you know value and mitigation of risk and all these things the problem is people focus on diversity without building trust and that's where that that harvard research harvard putnam research would show Diversity on its own can pit people against each other. Hmm. So you have to have a commonality. So mm -hmm. how do we, it's like, it turns out we don't care what we look like or certain types of diversity if we're both aiming our gun the same direction in battle, right? So we have to have, what is our commonality? What, what are we building trust on? We can, have, we can have the value of diversity, but we only get it if we increase trust in teams and organizations and people. Because if we just have difference, um, that doesn't, no, it's, you know, without trust, you really have done a negative. Yeah. Well, we wanted to thank you so much for being with us today. I know we're like going so through so many things so fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just blown away the whole time about just how influential you've been in Becca's life. Like, honestly, you were saying different things and I was like, oh, Becca, Becca tells me that all the time. Oh, that's, that's where she got that from. <laughs> like, just like little things that keep going up. And I was like, wow, like this is really affected her life and and I can see that not in just the words that she says and the things she, she tells me but the way that she literally lives her life um oh. so it's, this is really cool but just because I know that she's looked up to you for a long time and this is really special for both of us so thank you for being thank with you us for what all what you guys are doing <laughs> yeah. yeah well Good we are we um, are going to transition into our gawk portion. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something quickly. I have one that I would tell you in person that is so funny. Some of the things I've done from stage in front of thousands of people that have been accidental. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's another story. But by the way, I think we have for your group, uh, we have some special gifts too, like $1,500 worth of stuff. If, if I think it's uh, trustedleaderbook.com slash business talk. Oh, all so right. People go to a, a trusted leader book, trusted leader, not the, but trustedleaderbook.com slash business talk. Then you can get, if, if you get the book or anything, you can get a, a free assessment and you can get the like 72 video uh, masterclass and some other things. So I believe Gabe's put that, put that together for you or is before this goes live. And um, that'll be, that's just a gift to you from us. And thanks for having us on. And um, otherwise, you can find out all kinds of stuff about us at trustedge.com or my name if you can spell it. So <laughs> let's think about a story. I think here's one. This is a little more so, uh, on the soft side, but it did come out of some recent things around trust. So we kept, we kept seeing this data. In fact, in, in one of the studies, we found 92% of people would trust their senior leader more if they were more transparent about their mistakes, right? So what we learned is you know, we, we don't just just saying how cool we are oh you were all state in football you were the homecoming king you were this you were that nobody cares right but we do relate on our mistakes and on our challenges and what you'll see i'm sure just like i see in a whole lot of leaders that i get to sit next to is 
imposter syndrome. They're scared to death to really show that they're scared to death to run this organization or whatever. And so um, I was on a walk with my daughter, I'm and sorry. I said, "Go ahead." I, I, I said, uh, we, were, "We were on a walk." She was maybe thirteen. She's in college now, but she said something like, um, "Dad, you wouldn't understand." And I don't know if it was about boys or about uh, grades or what, but she said, "You wouldn't understand. You're perfect." And of course, my heart sank because you and I both know that's a big problem at that age. At three years old, great to be their hero. At 13, <laughs> that's a problem. That, and, and, and I don't know why she missed it because my wife has seen plenty of errors and problems and, and, and so has everybody else. But she had seen me at that time. She wasn't there when I lost all the money on the first thing. She didn't see me when I did this mistake, that mistake. And she saw kind of that time period. I'm flying out more, picked up in sedans, whatever. And... Um, and so I, st I did start to do something intentionally, and that was every week when I went on a walk with her, I would start to share something, some big mistake I'd made, and some place I'd blown it. And what happened? It just changed our relationship forever. And that's just, that was, that was kind of taking the research and applying it to myself and saying, I need to share my mistakes and not look like a perfect dad, because I'm not. So there's a lot more funny stories in there too, but that was, that was one I was thinking about lately because of the research, but um, yeah. No, thank you for sharing. I just was yeah. laughing because most of the time we share gawk portions that are embarrassing moments that we've done. And I'm like, wow, we must be really trustworthy now <laughs> because we share a whole lot of those. On stage, I don't know. I mean, it's a risk to say something I would say, but um, yeah, I was, I don't know how what the reaches of this, but I, I uh, yeah, I could tell you some, but I, I that's totally fine. All right, I know well, thank been you. Recorded. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, you can check it out on a platform that you like and share it with a friend, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts.